Well, welcome into another special episode of the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. This is the third of several of these special episodes we're throwing in at the end of season three as we are interviewing some people beyond our community to talk about what it means to truly be a neighborhood practitioner. And I'm excited on this episode, we're going to be hearing from my friend Daishan Mills, uh, and he's going to be talking about what it looks like to be involved in justice work in the neighborhood. As you're going to hear us discuss, this is often something that's overlooked when we talk about being a neighborhood practitioner. And so I'm excited as he just kind of uh, really passes on some incredible wisdom and brilliance. Uh, This is something that he's been living out for a very long time and teaching on. Um, Some of you, if you've been involved at any point with Renaissance, you know Daishan's name. Uh, We've actually partnered with him uh, when he was a pastor in the Waltham area on an event several times called A Safe Space to Talk About Race. He graduated from Harvard with a degree in African-American studies. Uh, He's worked for Boston Public Schools. He's also a pastor and works for his denomination, Grace Communion International. He's since left us in the Boston area and is a church planter in the Charlotte area, but he's still a dear friend. In fact, he just jumped on our board of directors for the start of 2023. So uh, a face that we'll continue to see and someone we'll continue to hear from. Uh, But I have so much respect for him, his wife, Africa. They are some of the most smart, incredible people, and yet so humble and loving. I don't know how, as smart as they are with everything they've accomplished, some of just the most gracious people you ever meet. I think you'll hear that in this episode. So I'm excited. Uh, We're going to be diving in, and we're going to be hearing from Daishan Mills when we talk about what it looks like to be involved in justice work in the neighborhood. Enjoy. Welcome into the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. This podcast is an extension of Renaissance. We're a family of microchurches around the greater Boston area. We dream together of God using every kind of person to create communities of unconditional belonging who enjoy the freedom found in the life Christ offers us. Every episode, we'll explore themes related to starting and sustaining those types of communities and what it means to be the church in our unique cultural moment. To find out more about us, head to wearerenaissance.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy the episode. Well, welcome to another special episode of the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. As I said at the top of the show, I am joined by my good friend, Daishan Mills, and I am excited for him to just kind of bestow upon us some of uh, his his expertise and some of his heart on what it means to be a neighbor. Um, and so I'm excited for our conversation. Uh, as I said, not only we actually got to know each other, um, I think you've actually been on the podcast before, and I think we've interviewed you in some other, other ways, but we got to be friends a couple of years ago when you lived here. Uh, you no longer, uh, unfortunately, live in my backyard, which kind of stinks. Tragic, yes. Uh, but <laughs> you are now on the board of directors for Renaissance, which is a really cool That's thing. Right. So yeah. still a way that we get to interact and have some fun. So anyways, I'm sure you're going to do a much better job introducing yourself than I did. So uh, Daishan, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you, your family, a little bit of context as to who you are so everyone can uh, can kind of learn a little bit more about you. Sure, sure. So it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I look for any excuse to hang out with you, Drew. 
Um, so, <laughs> You're a glut- glutton for punishment. <laughs> so it's nice that we can hang out together and have all these wonderful people listen to us too. So <laughs> that's great. Um, I am a follower of Jesus. I, I, I grew up in a church that was in error and I was blessed to be part of a church that was delivered from that by God. Um, that's never happened. And, and so um, as a follower of Jesus, um, knowing him and knowing what he says apart from the bad things that man, men do with him is something that's very important to me. So I'm excited to be talking about what we're talking about today. Um, I am married. I have two incredible kids and I am currently leading a church planting team in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I'm also an employee of our denomination, Grace Communion International, where I'm a program coordinator. And my portfolio includes diversity, equity, and inclusion, youth work, and uh, church planting. So that's a bit about me. Yeah, nice. And family? What's the, what's the family look like? Yeah, so my wife, Africa, she's an author. She wrote a book called Open Windows, Open Minds. She's, she's, she's kind of a rock star now. She totally is a rock star. <laughs> and I get to be in her entourage role. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice. So she's um, thinking about issues where education and race and um, ethnicity and things like that intersect um, injustice. Um, and so she spends her time writing about that, speaking about that. Um, She's pretty amazing. My daughter, Serena, she is a junior at UNC Charlotte. And my son, Cairo, he's a sophomore at Boston College. Um, And we have a dog named Rabbit. Um, If you ever come over my house, you'll get very close to Rabbit. She she doesn't believe in personal space and boundaries. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's awesome. Well, and for at the time of this recording, we are a few weeks out from partnering on kind of a four week learning community uh, yeah, you're, you're yeah. doing that I'm we're excited about called pursuing a united humanity. Yes. Uh, we're going to be talking about healing the racial wounds in the American church. And we've already had a few people in our community sign up. I know there's lots of others that are interested and just, I'm sure I'll remind us at the end of this podcast, but uh, if you are uh, like totally digging what Daishan's saying as you're listening to this, sign up for that. And uh, we're going to be diving in a whole lot deeper um, to some of the things that we're going to be talking about. So excited. Yeah, um, yeah. You mentioned your neighborhood uh, a little bit, um, but I would be fascinated. Why don't you tell us again, you, you used to live and uh, the, the Boston area. Yes. Um, you helped, you know, with a church in Waltham. You're now mm-hmm. not here. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your place? I know it's still fresh, but what are you learning about it? Cause we're gonna be talking about where we live, work, study place. Let's hear, hear where you're from. Yeah, yeah. So I live in the Steel Creek neighborhood of Charlotte, which is in the southwest corner of the city. We're right on the border of South Carolina. And I say geographically that's important because this part of the city, if you can kind of grow up, draw a line down the middle of Charlotte and the western part of the city. So I've been told is where um, people of color have traditionally lived and the eastern part is where um, fair-skinned people historically lived. But what you're seeing in in my part of the city is huge gentrification, Um, super, super rapid. So um, in some parts that's really exciting 
So in my neighborhood, there is a ton of diversity just on my block. I don't think um, any particular ethnic group or race is repeated more than once. And, you know, or yeah, just like two of one type of person on our block is, is incredibly diverse and it's integrated. So it's not like there's a, um, you know, there's an Indian section and a Haitian section. No, it's just pretty much integrated, which is beautiful and wonderful. Um, but the other side of that is that there's a lot of people who are new to Charlotte living in this community. There are a lot of people who um, are um, being displaced because of that. So the incredible building and whatnot. So homelessness is a problem. Um, lack of connection is a problem. Uh, people feel disconnected. Schools aren't the best. And so the schools are pretty segregated, um, which isn't great. And so this is where what we're trying to step into. We're trying to create places where people can connect and belong. And, um, and we can also have conversations about the things that divide us and, and how do we live better together. And so our church plan has been trying to step into those spaces. And um, yeah, but I, I really love it here. I, I really like it. I'm glad that God brought us here. I miss I miss Boston. I miss Waltham, but um, I'm glad to be here. No, that's really awesome. <clears throat> well, and I feel like a lot of those, uh, some of our microchurch leaders, those listening will totally resonate with what you're describing. Because I think, you know, I mean, you lived here urban sprawl continues to be um, yeah. a, a major theme of what's going on in Boston and uh, affordable housing is an incredibly big problem. Neighborhoods are being gentrified. My neighbor, I mean, just in the five years that I've been in my neighbor, I mean, it, it's, it's like a totally different neighborhood and we're watching, you know, uh, I've watched several of our neighbors, you know, houses, you know, being bought for a million dollars where renters were and, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, multiple renters and raised to, you know, build $3 million condo buildings and just yeah. a totally different group of people. And all those people get displaced and, mm-hmm. um, you know, those conversations. So I think a lot of the folks will, will totally resonate. Um, so that's really cool. Some, some kind of interconnection thing. Yeah. Well, I, again, we, we want to talk to you in particular um, about what does it look like to involve justice work? You know, we've already had several of these special episodes where we've talked a lot about neighborhood and how to be a neighbor. Um, And I think sometimes, uh, you know, I think it's easy to reduce, um, uh, reduce neighboring to just some real small, um, nice acts like uh, let me let me drop off some cookies for a neighbor or uh you know throw a backyard barbecue and not that those things are bad mm-hmm. but we we know and you're even describing it our neighborhoods if we think of them are much more complex if we think about the the systems that are at play um there's a lot of work going on i and i think that uh there's some justice work that we often sometimes overlook as a part of what it means to be a neighbor I really resonate. I love, uh, there's a group called the Parish Collective. We use some of their stuff um, at Renaissance. And I love, they talk about um, joining God's dream for our neighborhood and that there's nothing in the world that cannot be healed or transformed or liberated. And so they're they're thinking very much, I love this idea of not my dream for my neighborhood. What's God's dream for my neighborhood? Yes. How do I, how do I join in that to, to bring transformation and healing and care? And so 
that is going to involve uh, more than some cookies and some some hot dogs, you know, being yes. you know slung for my neighbors. So I, I would be fascinated for you, uh, maybe just starting from the ground level, mm-hmm. when you think about justice in the neighborhood, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, the first thing that comes to mind is that I am unjust. I don't know how to be a good neighbor. If I did, and if my neighbors did, this world would look very differently. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I, I start off with understanding that I need a definition of what those words mean, because if I define them for myself, I'm, I'm always going to be self-focused, man. I'm going to orient everything around me. So there's two passages where I feel I draw my understanding from with regard to justice and being a neighbor. The first one is this idea of Jubilee, right? So we have from the, the patterns of Israel, from the very beginning, God hinted at this ideal society that he wants. And I'm summarizing it in Jubilee because Jubilee was a celebration that Israelites had every 50 years where the land rested. So no one was farming in this agrarian society. Um, Ancestral land went back to its original owners. So it's kind of a reset on financial security, right? You had the release of prisoners and servants. It was just this huge shuffling, um, restructuring and resetting of society in an order that pleased God. And so what we can derive from that is that there is a society that God desires. And the ultimate fulfillment is when in Luke chapter four, when Jesus is teaching in his hometown in his home synagogue, and he reads an Old Testament passage that's talking about the year of Jubilee. And he declares that today, that passage is fulfilled in your hearing. He declares that himself, he is himself Jubilee. So when we're talking about justice, we have a definition of what that looks like, right? And Jesus said, it looks like me, right? I am the Jubilee. So all those things that we discussed before were trying to capture who Jesus is. Some of those things about Jubilee are equitable provision. Everyone gets what they need, right? They don't necessarily get the same thing, but they get what they need. Freedom, um, unity spiritual wholeness and celebration, right? And and so we see the early church doing certain things to achieve that, right? We see people who had homes, they would sell their homes to provide for folks who didn't have so that everybody had, right? We see them practicing self-sacrifice and self-discipline so that everyone could be okay. And, I, and I, so I think that that's one idea. So the idea of Jubilee is one. The second thing, is Jesus's definition of neighbor. This incredible teaching in Luke chapter 10. And Luke is a very challenging book and probably with regard to social justice issues, probably one of the most important books in the Bible, if not the most important, to understand what is our commitment to our neighbor? How should we be thinking about Mm -hmm. and ordering our society? So Jesus has an expert of the law ask him about different things. And he says, okay, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the story about the Good Samaritan, and then he flips the question at the end. He says, which one of these was a neighbor to the man who fell 
um, in the midst of thieves, right? So the, the original question, the, the expert of the law assumes his own neighborliness. He says, I am a neighbor. Who can I be kind and caring to, right? How I decide who do I be good to? And Jesus flips is like, no, you cannot assume your own neighborliness. Neighborliness can only be defined by the person in need of a neighbor, right? So I can't decide for myself that I'm being a good neighbor. Mm -hmm. I have to interact with people in a way that when a person needs a neighbor, they look and see me because I'm acting like a neighbor, right? And they are the ones that say, okay, you are, you are a neighbor. You have been a neighbor to me. Right. So that is very, very counter how we want to define neighbor. We want to define neighbor for ourselves. And so those two teachings, both Jubilee and Jesus's concept of neighbor, I think are at the heart of what Christian justice looks like. How do we establish this ideal society that God has said throughout all scripture that he wants? Right. And even the fulfillment in Revelation, he's going to get it. Right. Because, again, we see the fulfillment of Jubilee. So it's coming. But how do we live that? In this in-between time, how do we live that out? And how do I interact with others in such a way that they look at me and see a neighbor? I think th those are the key questions for Christians to consider as we think about issues, issues of justice in the neighborhood. Oh, <clears throat> I'm so glad you brought up Luke 4. I love that that text. Oh. And yeah, so important. And I love, uh, you know, again, uh, just connecting it to our listeners. You know, we talk a lot about the missiologist, uh, Leslie Newbigin talks about the church as being a sign and a instrument and a foretaste. And I think what yes. you're talking about with Jubilee is, uh, you know, we're in the already, but the not yet, you know, yes. it's this, you know, all things are going to be made new. We are going to be made into the humanity, into the people that God wants us to be eventually. But in the here and now, how do we be a sign of God's power? How do we, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, help the, our neighbor see that God is, that, you know, new things are happening, that God's at work, how do we be an instrument helping bring about you know, the year of Jubilee and in the places where we're at and how do we be a foretaste of what's, you know, how, how do we, you know, have, you know, live our lives in a way where when people see us live, uh, they, when they see the way that we care for people, the way we, we gather, uh, we're giving them a picture of what heaven will be like, you know, in the That's new right. creation. That's so, right. uh, I think a lot, we've, we've used that language a lot and I think, um, <clears throat> our listeners will, will resonate with you. So I, I love what you're saying. Um, let, let's just get practical. Um, mm -hmm. What do you what do you think that begins? And again, I'm going to ask tons of questions, kind of digging a little bit deeper. But for you, what does that what does that look like? So as you're inspired by the year of Jubilee, if you're as your expansion of what it means to be a neighbor is so much larger, the vision you're casting, what is what does that look like for you practically? Yeah, yeah, it, it comes down to posture, I think, right? So we get into trouble when we try to start with our observations and, and try to go to policies, right? And that's mm -hmm. what we immediately want to do. We see something in our society we don't like. We say that should not be allowed to happen, right? So let's work to stop that from happening, right? We just went through, there's still a conversation about abortion. Right. And, and so that's kind of where the conversation is going. Whereas what I see in scripture is more of a posture of place sharing and connection 
and allowing the Holy Spirit to shape us as we go and connect with people. So Acts chapter two, we are our first glimpse of how these people who are following Jesus's teaching are trying to live together. How, 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 are, they trying to, how are they trying to structure themselves? And we see them doing some incredible things. They're, they're eating each other's homes, they're gathering together in the temple. So they're interacting with people who are different from them on a, on a daily basis, right? They're, they're selling um, their property to provide for folks who do not have, the, the, provide for the poor, right? They're doing all these incredible things. And so they're practicing self-sacrifice. They're practicing place sharing, which is um, empathetic relationship building that is founded upon who Jesus is. And it also ties our faiths together. I can't be okay unless you're okay. We see them living incarnationally. And I know that's something that will resonate with your audience because that's kind of what your audience is doing. Um, they, they're spending time in scripture. They're, they're spending time to figure out what God is saying. And they're seeing their whole life as an exercise of worship. Right now, that is still broad, right? But that's what we see the early church doing in order to facilitate Jubilee, right? In order to facilitate people experiencing the freedom of Jubilee. Now, what that looks like um, for us is something that we continually need to discuss and talk about, right? So again, I talked about abortion, what it doesn't mean for us to self-sacrifice when it comes to those who are considering abortions. What, what does it mean for us to play share with those? What does it mean to live incarnationally, right? This gets back to something that you've alluded to, and I'm going to quote someone my wife has quoted. So she uses this quote, I forget who it comes from, so it's probably bad, I probably shouldn't say it, but I'll say it anyway. Um, there, there's a saying that nothing about us without us is for us, right? So if, if you're concerned about your neighbor and you're not engaging your neighbor and the strategies that you employ do not come from a place sharing relationship with your neighbor, then, then you're not actually doing justice work um you're, you're doing um uninformed charity which is not horrible which is not a bad thing charity is nice is good but it's not actually addressing the things that contributed to the situation in the first place so if i'm place sharing with my neighbor and and i realize that there's certain systems that lead to them not to be okay, right? I, I'm always like, wow, this isn't fair. Like, this is unequal. This, you know, how this is affecting you isn't how it affects me, right? Then I can't be okay in that situation. And, and then I'm gonna engage with my neighbor to say, how can I come alongside? How can I be an advocate for you? What, are, what does this look like? Mm -hmm. And you're gonna get different answers from different people. But that's why I'm saying it's a posture. It's not any one particular thing. It's how do you engage? How do we engage neighbor? And I can say more about that, but let me stop talking for now to see if I'm on track. No, that, yeah, well, in that quote, I'm pretty sure what you're, you're getting at is something called asset-based community development, which I mean, yeah. I'm huge into in the placemaking yes, yes. world that uh, we need to stop looking beyond the bounds of our neighborhood for help. Um, we need to, we need to realize that together, if we'll actually be the kind of neighbors you're describing, uh, that there's a lot of challenges that we can actually overcome. 
That's um, right. Which is wonderful. But with with what you're getting at, um, we actually we actually chatted a little bit about this before we hit the record button. But there's a there's a strong contextualization to what you're saying yes. that uh, beyond the fact that we we often um, well, this a whole separate issue, and we could probably talk more about this, is that we just like the quick fix to pat ourselves on the back that we did something good, yeah, um, yeah. you know, that, you know, that might not actually be helpful. That is kind of that uninformed charity. There's also a level to which that many of us aren't actually listening to our contexts. We're actually, mm-hmm. we're extracting some cool idea or something that we've thought about or heard about from somewhere else and just saying, I'm going to fix my neighborhood with, and and it's like putting a square peg in a round hole Mm -hmm. rather than being so intertwined with, with our neighborhood that we're listening and realizing that there are unique challenges. There's not a one size fits all approach to being a neighbor in justice work. Like every neighborhood and every place has unique challenges that need to be overcome. Yeah. And so I think if I'm hearing you right, what you're telling us, which I totally agree with, and I'm so glad you're mentioning this, um, is that we're going to have to, there's going to be a lot of serving and a lot of listening yes. and a lot of uh, linking arms with people in our neighborhood and not just this power dynamic of, I've got all the resources and ideas, let me just do for you so that I feel like I'm a good neighbor. That's right. That's right. There's two things that I think we got to watch out for and this happens very often when we're trying to address racial division, when we're trying to promote racial healing. Um, when I talk to people about race and they finally see the disparities, right? They, they may have not seen it before, they get some education and they're like, wow, this is messed up. First question, what can I do? And in the book, Wide Awake, um, Daniel Hill, I think it's pretty sure it's Daniel Hill. Yeah, it's a great he, book. He, yeah, it's a great book. He tells this incredible story about his journey. And he, he was brought to that point where he realized the disparities. And he, he said, what, what can I do? And then he was convicted by the spirit that that was the wrong question. The, the, the better question is, do I see? Can I see? A- am I seeing clearly? And, and so I, I think one we have to be, I, I get the impetus to do, right? Because when you see something bad happening, you want to stop it. But we have to realize that one, we might may not be seeing that situation clearly. And two, we almost always assume our own health. Mm. We, we have the wrong kind of markers of success. So especially in ministry, you know, you'll have a congregation that says, okay, we have some money. We have some people that want to do things. There's this low income community next to us. We're the healthy ones. We're going to bring good things there. I I think a better posture is that is to say that there are some things that we can contribute, but they have something that we need too. So good. Yeah. Right. We need to be formed by them. Right. And not just them, but all pockets of our neighborhood, all pockets of our community. We need to be formed by that. We're we're not necessarily, we're not the healthy ones in this equation. Jesus is the healthy one. We're all trying to, to, to see him and they have some, you know, the different communities 
we'll see Jesus and engage him in different ways, right? Ways that we need. As we go, we'll see Jesus at work in those neighborhoods and in those areas in ways that we might not have encountered before. And we need that, right? So um, that's why I'm against sort of broad definitions of this is what justice looks like. I, I, I can see, what I can say is this is how people who pursue justice these are their activities and behaviors, mm-hmm. right? Self-sacrifice, place sharing, incarnational art, these things that I mentioned before. And, and how that looks in different contexts will vary from place to place. But it's the it's the place sharing, it's the conversation, it's the engagement, it's the posture that that is really, really key. And that's when you get truly transformational. Um, truly transformational behaviors and activities by the the, the church, right? I, I think the ultimate example is the civil rights movement. And that was very hyper-local, right? Those strategies, those, those boycotts and whatnot were very, very local based on what the people in that community were seeing. There's an overall national strategy, but it played itself out in very unique ways for those communities. Um, and I think that's a good model for us to think about as we think about how do we do justice work in our community. Mm, that's so good. Well, there's so many thoughts that are going through my head. I mean, and, you know, I think um, what you're sharing, and I think I loved your humility at the beginning. I mean, this is the learning journey that I've been on myself is, <clears throat> um, you know, just realizing my own, uh, especially as a, as a, you know, someone who's lived a pretty privileged life in many ways, and especially as a white male, who's used to feeling like I have all the answers and I have everything figured out how often I want to come in and do what you're describing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my heart might be in the right place, but oftentimes, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not actually solving a problem. I'm not listening. I'm not actually making my, my neighborhood a more equitable place. Um, and, and, um, I, I've had to work on just listening and serving and uh, and more importantly, I would just say, I think that getting to the incarnational place is trying to push off translocality. Mm-hmm. How do I not spend so much time on social media or spend so much time thinking that an, a book or an expert or a conference somewhere else is the answer, which is, I think we've, we've kind of, the church in particular in America has kind of told us to believe and rather just say, how can I just... Um, you know, intertwine myself in my neighborhood to the point that I feel the, I always like to use the word, the ecology of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, Like a, like a gardener who's getting their hands in the soil all the time and knows if something's unhealthy or something's not right. Um, And the only way to do that is just to keep serving and just to keep, you know, loving and linking arms and, you know, realizing that, like you said, I, there's a lot of things that, uh, I'm unhealthy. I don't see right. And I thought I did. I just assumed I did. And I need to be quiet more, listen more, ask better questions, be more curious. There's probably, and there's probably another piece to that, that, you know, if we really believe all of us are co-creators, that part of our being image bearers, that to just serve our neighbor without letting them, that letting there be mutuality is Mm. robbing them of part of what it means to truly be, uh, you know, 
be made in the image of God. That's right. And I, I give the example a lot. There's a nonprofit that actually um, we're really good friends with who helped the unhoused in our neighborhood. And one of the coolest things they did was start a leadership council among them because they had been served, but no one had actually, one, ever asked them what they wanted. That's right. And then two, had never given them an outlet to give back. And so they, they clean up, you know, uh, parks and common areas of our community even though they don't even have a home um, because there's something about that that is restorative in nature that doesn't just say, you know, all because we threw some food at you or, you know, we gave you some clothes that we know everything that you need. And so, that's right. right. And, and then maybe finally, and I think maybe I would love for you to kind of maybe walk this out. Um, Probably part of the reason, you know, maybe subconsciously we don't do it is, isn't it way messier than, I mean, it's so much oh, more yeah. complex than we want it to be. Absolutely. And we're always looking for the most pragmatic, quick solution uh, where, Hey, can I fix this so I can move on to the next thing rather than saying this might be a tension I have to live in, in my neighborhood for the rest of my life. That's right. That's right. It's, it starts to get at what do we mean by repentance, right? So if we're being led by the spirit and we're going and engaging our neighbors and we're, trying to live in a way that when they look at us, they see a neighbor, we're going to start to see things that are jacked up. We're going to start to see things that are really messed up, right? That they're within our social media age, we just want to solve everything with just really pithy statements and sound bites. And all you got to do is this and, and nothing worth doing is simple, right? Nothing. there's nuance to all of this, right? We, we divide ourselves into different camps, racist, anti-racist, right? That's, that's, that's a false dichotomy, right? That, that simplifies the, the issue. And I think there's a lot more layers to it. Um, yeah, we, we divide ourselves into camps and we cut off the conversation, right? And then if we cut off the conversation, we cut off the, re- the repentance. So repentance means to change, to go in another direction, right? So it's not enough. Give you, for instance, a church that is in an affluent community realizes that racism is a thing, um, partners with a church that is of a different racial group than them. And yeah, does like a turkey giveaway or, right? Nice thing to do. Does it actually address racial division? It does not, right? And it doesn't address the things that have perpetuated racial division. That takes a lot more work. That takes a lot more conversation. And so we we are good. Actually, we're not even that good at it. Um, There have been instances of lament. We have to get a lot better at lament. I could say more about that. And we have done some half measures that are charitable acts, which are good. But what does it look like to walk a different direction? What does it what does it mean if you realize that racism is a problem? Do you train your whole church on it? Like does it become something that becomes part of your group to say we're gonna try to our best to undo this? Um, is there restitution? Right? So one of the things that my wife and I do we acknowledge that the land where we live is stolen land. It, it was promised to the indigenous and, and most of the land that um, 
was taken from them was as a result of broken treaties and conquest. And so we make a monthly donation to an indigenous um, organization Mm. as reparations, right? That's not all we're doing, but we recognize that restitution is required for the injustice. I just can't keep, you know, I came on this land by by nefarious means and just be like, oh, well, I didn't do it. So it's, no, restitution has to be made. Mm-hmm. And that's biblical, right? If Even if my parents did something wrong, if I realize it, it's on me to try to make it right as best I can. And the last thing I would say is holy resistance. Um, we see the, the emerging church practicing it. They were forbidden to use the name Jesus. They said, no, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to say you don't have the right to say that. You do have the right as the authority. We're not going to violently oppose you, but we're not going to do what you're saying to do because it's not right. If you put us in jail, that's your prerogative to do, but we are going to follow Christ. And, and similarly, we as citizens of this country have a responsibility to practice holy resistance. We have the ability to vote and we should use it to oppose the things that are dehumanizing, right? And, and when laws are unjust, we have the right and we're, it's incumbent upon us to practice nonviolent, lovingly motivated, <laughs> holy resistance. We're not going to do that. Um, our goal is, is restoration, right? So the, the goal is important. It's not revenge or, or um, from some kind of independently focused um, goal. It, it, it's restoration. We want to restore relationship. Um, and so we're going to resist against these things that get in the way. Right. So that's something that I would like more of my brothers and sisters to get a hold of, like what repentance means, because there is an aversion in most American evangelical circles against addressing systemic oppression, systemic issues. And um, I think the church has lost a lot of credibility um, because of that. And we're we've been pretty impotent um, on some of the major issues hitting our society because of it. Yeah, why don't you dig deeper on that? <clears throat> I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. you know, when t- we're talking about justice being, um, it is so wide-reaching and it is so contextual. Um, there's so many, you know, different facets that we could, you know, doors that we could walk down um, and explore. But I know, obviously, when we start talking about racial reconciliation, racial repentance, this is something you're obviously passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I do think it is one of those things that... Um, we're dealing with, you know, kind of a reckoning all across our country. This is obviously what we're going to be talking about uh, in that learning community. I know it's, you know, something you and Africa have been living out and talking about for a long time. And honestly, it's an area, part of the reason we partnered with you, you know, uh, Renaissance uh, to this point is not nearly as diverse as we want it to be. And mm-hmm. we have our own work to do in this area, all of us. And so I would be fascinated for you to talk a little bit more. What does it look like uh, on that issue to lament, uh, mm-hmm. to seek, you know, repentance and uh, renewal, like you're describing um, with, with our neighbors, you know, the, yeah. way that we, the way that we should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So similar to how I began this conversation, um, one of the big things that we need to do is acknowledge our shortcomings and seek God to help us. When it comes to issues of race, unless you studied race 
from a sociological standpoint or from an ethnic studies standpoint, um, anthropological standpoint. If you have not done that, then you don't really understand, we don't really understand the nature of that sin, mm. right? So when it comes to race, most people in America don't know how racial categories formed and how we got here and how we got to this moment. And so to begin to talk about how we navigate in this moment because incre becomes incredibly difficult because we can all say racism is sin, but why is it sin, hmm. right? What is, what is the nature of the sin of racism, right? And, and, and where, where does, what part of our corrupted selves does racism resonate with and why? And then how, what is the impact that it has in our society? This is, these are some of the things that we're gonna cover in pursuing a united humanity. We don't, because a lot of times we just, we listen to the people we listen to, we regurgitate information, we don't know how we got here. We, and we just, we just adopt these sound bites and that's it. But when we start to encounter how we got here and how it harms our brothers and we sit and sisters and we sit down across from them. Um, a few years ago when we were experiencing an outbreak in violence against Asian Americans, right? Um, I, I wanted to do something, right? But I was like, okay, let me not just do, hmm. let me see if I could see. Right. And then I talked to several of my friends who are Asian American. And I just said, you know, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? What, what's going on with you? And I learned so much from those conversations. And um, one of the things that came out in those conversations, they said it would be nice if we heard from people like you um, that this is wrong. Um, and so I said, if I let me put together a lament. So I wrote a lament and I gave it to those same friends to take a look at and say, what do you think, right? Um, and, and, you know, we, they, they made some changes and then I put out a lament on um, what it, on, on how I'm lamenting and crying out to God for, on behalf of the United States for how we treat our Asian American brothers and sisters, right? So that is a, a bit of the process when we lament, we are, it's not so much that we are um, just apologizing, apology is part of that, but it's being open and honest with where we are. It's confessing our state to God and looking to him as the only one that can solve it and address it. When we start with lament, Lament breaks down the defense mechanisms. Lament breaks down the self-preservation. Lament breaks down the thinking that we know, right? Because when you're in, when you're engaged in lament, your shortcomings and your your lack is painfully obvious, right? Some of the things I said is you, God, you have said that we are made in your image and we are united in Christ, and yet we see all this division, and I'm part of it. Mm. I contribute to it, right? No, I didn't 
hit any of my Asian brothers and sisters. I didn't punch anyone in the face. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I am part of this mess that makes things like that happen. Right. And, and I have to, I have to um, apologize for that. And, and I have to repent. I got to go in a new direction. And that new direction is not just me again, sending a check to Asian American serving society. Right. It's continuing to talk with my my family who um, who are from Asian descent and um, say, how do we better live together? What can we keep doing? How do we keep this from happening? What, what, what can we do to make sure this doesn't happen ever again? Um, so lament just plays such a huge piece. And I believe it's one of the first things like once at, once we realize that something is rough off. I think it's one of the first things we need to do. Lament, confession and lament. And that can open the door to repentance, right? It's once we go through the process of lament, we can start to say, okay, as, as I'm continuing to engage my, my fellow humans, um, they're gonna help me shape how to do better for myself mm-hmm. personally and how we do better collectively. Yeah. I, well, I love what you're describing. Well, one, a <clears throat> couple of things to help our, connect the dots even more for our listeners. One, um, you know, I think it'd be really easy for someone like you, you know, who yeah. has studied so much of these issues at one of the best universities in America mm-hmm. um, to be like, oh, I'm enlightened. I'm arrived. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a former X mess, you know, like yeah. now I've, you know, I'm a former mess. I'm an X mess. Now I've got it all figured out. And I think there's, um, and I can just be honest in saying, you know, I've got friends that, you know, in particular, some of my, you know, more white educated friends, I think there is this, almost this status of, I've read a few books. Mm. Uh, I know some of the language I've now arrived. I'm no longer a racist, like my family member back wherever I came from, or, you know, I vote the right way or think the right way or do. And what I love is, is you're saying, no, uh, this isn't like a, this is a, this is constant work yes. that is taking place. It's not a one-time thing. And the moment you think you've arrived is the, the very moment you're going to probably continue to perpetuate the problem you claim that you've figured out. That's exactly rather, right. Rather than just constantly saying, how do I'm not just lamenting once. How do I constantly lament? How do I constantly yes. repent? Because it's getting us to what you described earlier, this posture that allows justice work to really take place because without it, um, my, my heart and my mindset is not going to, to be like that of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, we should take our cues from the word. I think a third of the Psalms are laments, something like yes, that. Yes. Yeah. Um, a book on lamentations, like, <laughs> Yeah. Right. So that process of crying out to God is not only a good spiritual practice, I think it's a necessary spiritual practice. Yeah. It's how it's what helps us to see. And and I would and I would add, I don't think I think sometimes we can just always do that from a national perspective or a global yeah. perspective. Uh my encouragement to to our listeners it would be get your feet on the pavement. Yes. You can't be praying and lamenting for the things that you don't actually see in your neighborhood. And, you know, I think some of the best things that I do, I love um, Brian Sanders. I was, you know, recently was here 
part of a missional expression summit was just talking about that the longer that you do mission is to hold in your heart, this great sorrow as you hope for something greater. And the more time I spend walking my neighborhood, um, I, I can't, I cry almost every day. I can't help, but sense and feel, um, and be a part of like, there's, there's more problems than I can give the rest of my lifetime to within like a 10 block radius of my home. That's right. And, I, and the more that I do that, the more that it leads me to lament, to cry out and say, God, here I am, you know, send me, I, I, I don't know what, what this, I don't, this is already so complex, just even in my neighborhood. I don't know how yes. to fix this, but help me to continue to see, to keep asking the questions of those who are involved so that I can learn that I can repent of my, the, the, the ways that I've perpetuated this problem in my neighborhood that I'm, you know, and in whatever way I can help, help me be a part of, you know, loving and caring and bringing about your year of Jubilee here. So anyways, I, I think that's an encouragement too, is because I think sometimes we can have such a perspective on, Hey, what's the latest trend on Twitter? What is the news telling me and yeah. realize and miss that there are some widely systemic issues that take place just in our backyard. That's right. And that's always the irony of the whole NIMBYs, not in my backyard yeah. folk, the yeah. people who think they're so enlightened. And yet when it actually involves their neighborhood, they're like, nope, uh, I don't, I don't actually, I have eyes to see it everywhere else. I don't want to see it where I actually live. Yeah. 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 So we don't, we're not individualistic in the right ways, right? We, yeah. <laughs> we, we want to approach um, justice work independently. I could decide who my neighbor is. Oh, those poor people. I'm going to contribute to this organization, right? We don't communally do social justice work when we need to. And, and then we, we talk about um, lament and repentance from, from this view way up here, right? Way up high versus like you said, in your individual neighborhood and community, right? We're supposed to make it hyper local, right? So when I, well, backing up, Jesus sets the example of this. I mean, I think one of the most stunning images in scripture is Palm Sunday, Jesus going to Jerusalem to fulfill his purpose in the incarnation, right? Um, Bravely doing it. But he's and he's being greeted as this conquering king. People are are shouting Hosanna, and he is bawling. Mm-hmm. He is absolutely bawling over the condition of Jerusalem, the heart condition of of his people, right? And and when was the last time when we were just walking in our community and just was moved to bawl mm-hmm. over the condition of our people? Right, like we we should regularly be moved um, because it's not supposed to be like this, and you know, and and not to us, not not them, us. Like it's not supposed to be like this for us. Yeah, and um, I think it's so important to have those eyes to see, um, and and when therefore when our um, then we think about solutions. Right, we're gonna be coming from the right place. We have to get proximate first before we think about those next steps. When the man in, in the Good Samaritan parable, the first thing that um, the Samaritan did was he saw the man and then he drew near, right? We gotta get proximate. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. um, and allow that to transform us. Um, but but when we do, when we when we see this happening, um, it, it, it it's not just about that one condition, right? So we 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 do racial healing work, not just so that people will be reconciled, because that's a good end even in and of itself. But ultimately, what that proclaims is that the kingdom of God is at hand, that that Jesus really is the great king and he really is on his throne. Right. And so I think we have to keep the ultimate end in mind and the ultimate beginning. Jesus has to be the beginning and and the end of all of our efforts or we're going to go. We're going to get off the mark. We got to realize that that is what um, it is. He is Jubilee. Right. Mm-hmm. So those are just some things I think, again, I, I talked about posture. These are some things that help us to have the right posture and the right way of being as we engage. No, this is awesome. I mean, you know, some of the ways that you're answering are, are different than I might have even expected, but I love I love what you're contending for. Um, and again, I think it, it fits perfectly. If, you know, there isn't a one size fits all. Uh, but if there is one thing that we can universally do is, is live with the right posture. I think what you're getting at and not, you know, not be so solution based. Um, but you know, more realizing like, Hey, if I go through the right paradigm shifts and I live into the right postures, um, you know, you know, there's obviously, it's going to look different in every context, but good things are going to be, you know, are going to start to bear fruit. Um, that's right. And we, and that, that's not a plea for passive, pass, passivity. Um, this is a very active, yeah. right? If you live in this way, people will accuse you of being focused on social justice, right? Yeah. And people will tell you that the gospel isn't social justice. Well, that, and that's actually, I, we're, we're needing to wrap up our time, but that was one of the questions I had earmarked for you that I would love for you to maybe, I think that might bring this full circle and be like a really great thing for you to talk about is I hear the same thing. You start doing this and people say, well, what about evangelism? Or, you know, what about the gospel? You know, you're, you know, you're doing all this work, you know, and um, I would love for you to, to just talk a little bit about that, that, um, you know, one, they're not, they're not, you know, we, we make them two polar opposite things. They're not opposite things, but Um, I know, obviously, we've already talked about justice coming from Jesus, but I would just yes. love, how do you respond when people start critiquing you that way? What are what are the things you say? Oh, I agree. I was like, no, the, the gospel is not social justice. Absolutely. However, when we see people <laughs> living out the gospel, we always see social justice, mm. right? It's if we were not in this present evil age. Yeah, we would be doing the gospel, no social justice, because there wouldn't be a need for it. But we are in this present evil age. And so as we go and engage our neighbor, we're going to see things that are wrong. We're going to come across our neighbor, and they're going to be beaten by thieves and laying by the side of the road. Right? And and we can't, we're not supposed to walk by them. We're not supposed to walk past them. Right? We're supposed to be neighbors. And so you're, you're, you're going to Or see- just, or even just present them the... Uh- four spiritual laws and move on. You know? That's right. Like, yeah. That's right. I did my part, you know, no, I helped yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got, when, when that Samaritan helped that man that was being on the same side of the road, he got that man's blood on him, right? He, mm. and, and we have to live in such a way that we get our neighbor's blood on us. 
right? And so you're going to see social justice where you see the gospel because it can't be any other way. Jesus was opposed by the power structures of the church. But like Martin Luther King said in, in, in the letter from a Birmingham jail, we've sort of lost that in the church. Like the power structures rejoice when the church comes in because in the church they see an ally to, to hierarchy and power. We got to repent of that, right? So, mm-hmm. so w- Jesus was on the side continually of the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed. Can we in the ev- evangelical church say that? That we are continually on the side of those that our society values least? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. So, yeah, you, you, you're going to see social justice and um, mission is the mother of theology. It's as the emerging church engaged their culture when they reached across cultural barriers and they began to keep talking about this man named Jesus that they started saying some of the similar things. And they said, okay, let's write that down. And <laughs> right? yeah. they began to contextualize their experience. That's where theology grew, grew from. So I push back to say that how can you do discipleship without mission? Mm-hmm. How can you become a whole Christian, a whole Christ follower without loving all of God's kids Mm -hmm. and learning to love all of God's kids. Mm -hmm. So I I would push back on a person to say, you know, the gospel isn't social justice. And I would ask, how can we live out the gospel without being socially just? Mm -hmm. How is that possible? How can you do that? Man, that's a good word. Well, and, you know, I think, you know, if you you know, I've, I've gotten to minister across the country and I think you have a lot of those people who in their mind, I think, you know, well, if I give a gospel presentation that shows that I do care about you, it's like, well, no, that's, you know, again, you know, that's, that's the easy thing, you know, oh, yeah. you know um, loving someone when they're unlovable or throwing yourselves into a midst of a mess with people that are different than you and requires repentance and, rec- you know, that, that, that really is where you start to show love. And I think we have an entire generation right now, I think, you know, words like deconstruction are super evil, mm-hmm. but I think this is, this is uh, in essence, the issue is I think most of my millennial and Gen Z friends that I talked to are saying, you told us that the gospel should have implications on our lives. Yes. You told us uh, that Jesus is Lord. And yet we don't actually see evidence of that in the church and in your lives. And, you know, I love, I, I, I have it up. Um, you know, uh, hanging up um, in, in one of my offices is Bell Hooks's quote of, you know, what we do is more important than what we say or what we say we believe. And I think there's an entire generation that says, uh, great, we know what you believe. Show yeah. us, show us that it's actually transformative in your life. That's right. And, you know, so yeah, we're not, we're not sure we want to be a part of this if we don't actually see life change or if we don't actually see, um justice and and inequality um, being contended for. And so, you know, I think probably more than ever, demonstration of the gospel is probably more important right now than proclamation. Not that we don't get to that one, but daggone it. We've been been pounding our pulpits and and talking about it for far too long. Mm -hmm. And I think we have have an entire society who's saying, um, until you start actually doing this work, don't don't tell us anymore what you think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's completely valid. 
<laughs> and again, I agree hundred percent. Like I, I get it. So, I mean, and again, that's not why we do it. We're not, you know, I'm not saying that we're just doing this work so that, um, Hey, I did this with a bait and switch so that I can, you know, now slide you this, this presentation, yeah. but, um, I think that's part of the problem is we've we've extrapolated um these these two sides of the gospel. Yeah. And I think we're it's kind of almost a new Gnosticism. We're these souls trapped in our bodies. We just need to contend for that, make sure that's okay, um, so that we can go off to some, you know, fairy angel land and play harp somewhere rather yeah. than realizing a new heaven and a new earth is coming. The year yes. of Jubilee will be the way. Yes. The, the, this kingdom is bursting forth. It's, you know, the first, the first fruits of that are all around us. New creation is constantly dawning. How do I join God in that work? That's right. Um, That's and, right. And the restoration and renewal of all things, rather than just making sure that uh, you said a prayer and walked an aisle and got baptized. You know, there's something That's much right. longer. You know. Jesus didn't declare that he was Jubilee and say that's rhetorical or that's symbolic. He was laying hands on the sick, right? He was he was advocating for the for women. He was advocating for the Sabbath to be to not be oppressive. He he was challenging um, these social ills in his community in tangible ways and demonstrating that the that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said, you know, I do these works. So they listen to the words. So they know, know that I'm not lying, that I have skin in the game, that I'm not being hypocritical, that this isn't symbolic, but no, it really is here and I'm embodying this jubilee, right? And, and we too, as the church, um, we don't talk enough how we've been committed the ministry of reconciliation. We, we don't talk enough about what it means to be peacemakers mm -hmm. in our society. Right. And that's not just putting a pithy quote in, in so on your social media post, man. Like, how are we making peace in our community? How are we rolling up to issues like gender inequality and, and racism and just punching it right in the face? Right. How do we even just declare that? No, the church is here in this community. It could happen in other places, but not here. Not today. Not on my watch. Right. In the name of Jesus. Right? How do we, how do we do that? And I, and I think that's the challenge for the church in this time. Um, we're, we're having to get smaller, but it's giving us more of an opportunity to get hyper local and hyper authentic, right? And, and really roll up our sleeves and be about the business of peacemaking and, and seeing God, um, seeing that God is a just God reflected in our society. Right. I think that's that's the challenge and that's the opportunity that we have in this present time as as the church. And I'm all for it. Let's get at it. Let's go. Right. Let's mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we probably should be wrapping up here because this we could keep talking for I, I've got a dozen more questions I'd like to ask you. But one, Daishan, just thanks for your friendship. I every time I talk to you, I learn something and um, I think you model so well exactly what you're talking about. You're not just uh, contending for it. You're a practitioner of it, mm -hmm. which I think is so valuable. Um, and as I said at the beginning, um, if you are listening to this uh, at the time of its recording, um, please sign up um, for Pursuing a United Humanity. Uh, I think uh, we're going to deep dive a lot of what Daishan was just kind of touching on. And I can, I've, I've uh, gone through a 
kind of a, a version of this in the past mm-hmm. that we did mm-hmm. actually in our neighborhood. And I just kept thinking to myself, why have I not learned? Why is no one that taught me this? You know, there were so many things that I just was just scribbling note after note after note and um, yet never done in a shame, shame filled way, mm-hmm. but just in a very redemptive way of saying how, you know, um, you know, pushing us towards the repentance uh, in, a, in a healing restorative way, rather than you're this awful person, you know, how dare you? And so I think, um, and, and again, um, there's so there's so much there. So I'm excited. I really hope people will sign up for it. I'll be there too, just learning and taking notes alongside you. Um, and I uh, think you would, uh, you know, you and your micro church or some people in your neighborhood, I think it'd be something you, you really, really enjoy. But uh, all that said, Daishan, thank you so much for the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is fun. Yeah. Well, until the next episode, thank you for joining us on the Dream, Create, Enjoy podcast. <laughs>